0: Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On today's episode, we are taking a little bit different angle and talking more about men's sexual health. In this podcast, we primarily talk all about women, which is amazing. That is what this platform is for. However, for those of us that are in heterosexual relationships, understanding our partners better can be absolutely integral in having better connections with our partner. So I'm so excited to have a male sex expert join me today to talk more about all of this. Did you know that the lack of intimacy was the cause of 55% of divorces, but that's not for you, not after Get the Sexy Desire. We are really going to tap into what pleasure can look like and help you and your partner start exploring more in the bedroom. If you're not partnered, that is a-okay because in Get the Sex You Desire will give you the framework so that when you do have a partner, you can cultivate this mind-blowing sex from the beginning. Ultimately, Get the Sex You Desire is for you if you feel like you're having good sex, but you're ready for that next level, that mind-blowing sex, or if you're unsure about what is even on your pleasure menu what do you like? Or maybe you just desire to improve your intimacy and connection with your partner. Or you are tired of going through the motion in the bedroom and want to start enjoying sex more. You deserve a sexually satisfying relationship. So join me for Get the Sex You Desire. It starts July 7th. To learn more, go to sex.jordandonnell.com. I can't wait to see you there joining me today is cam Fraser. he is a certified professional sex coach certified sexologist counselor and tantric yoga teacher his work integrates scientifically validated medically accurate information about sexual health with sacred sexuality teachings from the mystery traditions As a coach, he helps men go beyond surface-level sex and into full-bodied, self-expressed, pleasure-oriented sexual experiences free of anxiety and shame. Wow. All right, Cam, I am so excited to have you join me today to talk more about men's sexuality, especially because it is Men's Health Awareness Month when I am dropping this episode in the States. And you primarily work with men, correct?
1: I certainly do, yeah. Predominantly cisgender heterosexual men as well.
0: And what are like some of the common things that men come to you for or that you see that they have concerns about with their sexuality?
1: So I primarily get guys reach out to me for like surface level stuff. They want to know like how to last longer in bed. Maybe they're, they've self-diagnosed themselves with premature ejaculation, but really they're just not lasting as long as they want. Or they maybe are struggling with erections. They've kind of, again, self-diagnosed themselves with erectile dysfunction when maybe they've got more of like erectile disappointment. They just don't have reliable erections. Or- They want to learn how to give their partner more orgasms. Maybe they're kind of feeling like disconnected from their partner. Their partner doesn't have a lot of orgasms with them. And so, they want to learn the technique or the tip, the strategy to get them to get over that edge. Or they want, I get a lot of guys reaching out asking about like penis size. They're worried about how big they are and they want to get bigger or they want to, you know, learn about how they can, you know, use what they've got. And so, a lot of the first point of contact with a lot of men that I have is those kind of surface level questions. It's the, the kind of performance oriented questions, right? They're like, how do they measure up? How do they last longer? How do they do this? So, they're looking for a strategy. They're looking for a technique or a tip or a skill, which is fine. And I, I can teach them those things. Like I can teach them how to breathe. I can teach them how to relax. I can teach them how to thrust differently. I can do those skill based, you know, skills acquisition-based things. But what I find is Digging below the surface of a lot of of those questions, those performance-oriented questions, is an attitude or a mindset or an emotional disconnection from sex and sexuality and pleasure itself. And so, so a lot of the work I end up doing with these men is like readjusting their attitudes and their sexual scripts and the narratives they have about sexuality and masculinity and what it means to be a sexual man and what it means to to be sexual with another person and to be sexual with themselves. And so that would be the most common thing that I see with men is like the, the attitude that they have towards sexuality, which is quite linear. And quite narrow. It's it's not very broad, right? It's quite a limited understanding of what sex is and and should be as well. There's a lot of shoulding. A lot of men should themselves. Sex should look like this. I should be this way. My partner should do that. Yada yada yada. And so that tends to be the most common thing that I work with on men is like the their approach to sexuality and. And if I don't change that, if, if I just kind of give them the technique, then it kind of doesn't really, like it kind of works, but it doesn't really change much, right? Because they're still approaching sex the same way. They're still having kind of similar experiences and sex still means the same thing to them. So, I, I like to ask those more introspective questions and go a little bit deeper with them. So, that tends to be my, my most common work with men.
0: I love that. And I think that I see that from like a women's sexuality standpoint as well, is that a lot of times there's these surface level things that they come to us for. However, there's something under that that is really what the work and everything is geared at. This podcast is primarily for women and the majority of the audience is women. As women, what is something that we can do to help our partners when they are facing intimacy issues?
1: Yeah, thank you for inviting me to answer this particular question because the opposite question is oftentimes the priority. It's like how can male partners create safety for their female partners to drop in and surrender and open up and be vulnerable, which is so necessary and so beautiful, but oftentimes you don't really do we don't really know how to do the reverse so i really appreciate you giving me a, an opportunity to speak into this there's there's quite a bit actually that we can do and i say we here collectively as human beings who have male partners but i suppose particularly for women is like recognize the power in your hands firstly like what i mean by this is so i talk to a lot of men about the way that they masturbate and when guys masturbate if they haven't done any work on sexuality before it's very it's very goal oriented and it's very friction based and it's very it's I guess like the way i describe is is they're very going through the motions. There's not a lot of like deep intimacy that men have with their own body. It's quite a superficial, I would say. And so, so, a lot of men, when they start to experience touch with a partner, their partner's touch can actually be quite overwhelming for a lot of men. And I don't know if there's women that are listening to this that'll resonate with this, but I find a lot of guys find it very difficult or find it awkward or have some resistance to receiving touch from their partner, whether it's like a sensual massage or whether it's her like performing oral sex on him or if if it's, you know, just if the, the touch is directed towards him and he's receiving the touch. A lot of guys feel very awkward in that position. They find it very difficult to do that. And so, being able to like take ownership of like the power in your touch as a woman, particularly for touching your male partner's genitals. So, touching his cock. Like a lot of guys have a pretty, I would say, not necessarily unhealthy, but not a very robust relationship with their own cock. Like it's like, they kind of treat their cock like it's got a job to do whenever they're masturbating. It's like the job of the genitals is like to get an erection, to ejaculate, to, to do these things. And they kind of like literally and figuratively beat – you know, their cock into submission until they get what they want. And so, there's this uh, relationship that men have with their cock that it has to be hard, that it has to do something, that it has to like perform. And that can cause a lot of anxiety for a lot of men. It can cause a lot of performance anxiety. A lot of guys, when they get up in their head, they maybe lose an erection or they ejaculate quite quickly. And so, something you can do in those situations as a woman, as as your, as a partner to one of these guys is like lovingly soothingly gently like hold his cock in that moment like if he's not able to get an erection or if he's lost his erection halfway through during sex using the power of your hands and the power of your touch to to simply like hold him, hold his cock like lovingly touch his body kind of create that safety for him to be in that space where he's probably in his head quite like worried about what you're going to think about him, or that his body's failed him, or that he's less of a man, that his masculinity is now you know in question because he can't perform. It's a very anxious and and fearful place for a lot of men to be in. So in that moment, to kind of help him process that, to help him come out on the other side of it, holding your hands on his body, particularly holding your hands on his cock, telling him telling him how much you love his cock, telling him how much like you know joy and pleasure it brings you, how beautiful it looks, all these things of just like. It's kind of similar to, to, uh, I suppose, what women are looking for is like some reassurance about their body, some reassurance that they look beautiful, that they're attractive, that they're desired. Guys want those same things. They just don't admit it. And they're told by society that they shouldn't need those things. Uh, And so, they kind of push those feelings and those desires down. So, being able to tap into that as a partner to one of these guys is a really powerful thing to do. And it can help men really start to open up and recognize that, oh, shit, I do want to feel desired. I do like it when my partner wants me. I do like it when my partner acknowledges my body and and things like that. So, that's one strategy is just like using your touch in a really loving, caring, powerful way and recognizing the kind of power in your hands is the way that I say that. The second uh, strategy that I suggest is one with regards to like talking to men about sexuality and your sex life. So, men are notorious for not opening up and not being able to, to talk about things and so, one of, the, one of the strategies I suggest to women is if you're going to have a conversation with them about things um, that are quite vulnerable, to have that conversation when you're both out doing something together. So, rather than the, you know, stereotypical, hey, we need to talk and then kind of sitting down at a dinner table and having a conversation or one of the worst times to have a conversation about sex and sexuality is right before you're about to have sex. It's a terrible time to initiate a new conversation because there's- Tensions are high. There's maybe some anticipation and expectation that what you're talking about then has to immediately happen. That can put a lot of unnecessary pressure on things. And so, it's just not a very good time to initiate a new conversation about sex. But a great time, particularly if you're talking to a man, is when you're going and doing something physical together. So, maybe you're going for a walk or you're going for a drive or if you both are into rock climbing or if you're both into playing a particular sport or you're going for a bike ride or you're going out to the markets and doing some shopping, like whatever it is. If you're doing something physical, I used to play soccer. My partner and I used to kick a soccer ball around that and We would have a conversation about things. That's when I felt really comfortable having a conversation about things, I should say. And the reason why it really works for a lot of guys is because it gets them out of their head and into their body. A lot of guys, when they start to have conversations, get really heady about it. Like they're quite overthinkers, and they go like, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I do this? And so, of the strategies for kind of helping overcome that is to is to get them into their body and by moving their body around they start to notice oh this makes me feel a little bit more tense or this makes me feel a little bit more at ease or whatever it might be kind of gets them into kind of forces them into their body Uh, and so it's a really good place to have a conversation and then uh, kind of on top of that a strategy that comes from a woman called Alison Armstrong is you're going to ask a guy a question about something Give him an opportunity to – and Alison Armstrong's analogy here is to throw a second bucket down the well. So, if you ask him a question, a lot of guys will give a a surface-level answer, like an answer that kind of comes to them first. But if you give him some space and some time to kind of send a second bucket a little bit deeper down the well – I think like uh, other people have said like the 30-second rule, like count to 30 seconds after he's like said something – and just count thirty seconds in your head. Just give him that space and that time to send in that second bucket because it will be something that's a little bit deeper, something that's a little bit more profound for him—a bit more of an insight. Oftentimes, a lot of women don't do that because they're so grateful that he's said something, and they kind of want to pounce and they're like, "Oh, he's opened up! Oh, amazing!" And then they want to kind of continue talking, which is lovely. But oftentimes, that can like cut off a guy from some like his secondary kind of point or secondary insight that he might have if he was given that bit of time. That's just a very simple strategy. Another one is like keeping things framed positively as well. Like if the sex isn't very good or you like, you you kind of want more from it, and this is hard to do, I, I recognize this, but instead of essentially blaming, right? Instead of going, hey, the sex we're having is shit, it's your fault, we need to do something about it, right? Which is how we kind of sometimes want to initiate a conversation, right? One of the ways of helping initiate that conversation and making it a bit more easeful to have is to keep it kind of positively framed and to keep it pleasure oriented so like a reframe of that kind of conversation could be like hey I really love connecting with you I really want to explore more pleasure with you and I was wondering if we could have a conversation about like what that might look like could we you know have a conversation about what our pleasure exploration could be and and so kind of keeping it positively framed not kind of going hey this is your fault you need to do better which I get is tough to do because we sometimes want to say that if it's especially if it's been like an ongoing thing but a lot of guys will shut down, unfortunately, when they hear that a lot of guys will, their ego will be too bruised to actually open up and have a conversation in that space. So being able to like soften the blow a little bit can be can be quite helpful. So those are a couple of strategies there as women, or just as, as people that have male partners, I suppose, to, to kind of help these men open up and, and be a bit more comfortable and, and be a bit more vulnerable, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I love that. And one tool that I use with my clients is something called uh, roundtable discussion, where I encourage them to sit down consistently to have these conversations so that you're not waiting until a situation is out of hand, whether it's sexually or not, depending, I mean, whatever part of their relationship that it's in, but to keep that communication open and so that there's never this time where you're like, oh, we need to talk. You have a scheduled time to talk, to air everything out, no judgment zone, and it's a safe place. Also love taking a walk. I think for me as a woman who has a hard time opening up and being vulnerable, I think that that would be a really useful tool to help me open up and really get to what I'm trying to say.
1: Mm, Yeah. And I I love this idea of normalizing conversations about sex as well, right? Like just having small little conversations about sex kind of throughout the week is way better than having one big conversation about sex like once a month. Like the, And this is just as I kind of remember it, like another strategy to have a conversation about sex is, like I said, a, a small one, keep it short and sweet and focus on one particular thing. So say, for example, I don't know, heterosexual couple here, and as a woman, you kind of notice your partner is pulling away from you. Maybe he you found out that he's watching porn, he's having some erection issues, and like you're feeling disconnected. So there's like a bunch of things in there, right? A not not so great strategy would be like, let's have a conversation about all of that, and it goes on for a couple of hours. A better strategy is like pick one of those things and have a conversation specifically about that one thing. Of course, they all overlap, but it's going to be a lot more manageable and it's going to let me be a lot more conducive for processing what you're feeling and what your partner's feeling if you kind of pick one of those things and, and talk about it. So, like pick erectile dysfunction to begin with. Like, hey, you know, how's erectile dysfunction or how's, you know, your erections making you feel? Like, do we need to maybe talk to someone about this should we get like some Viagra or do we need to talk to a coach or you know what is it about you know erectile dysfunction that's kind of like causing the issue and then focus on that and then once that conversation's kind of been had then moving on at a different time to like pornography for example or, or to uh, the intimacy that you're lacking or whatever it might be so that's another thing that's oftentimes when we talk about sex we want to lump it all in together and have a big overwhelming conversation but unfortunately that's not a very good strategy.
0: Right. And I could just imagine like having all of that come out at one time, how overwhelming that would be. And then how are you going to make progress in all of those areas if you kind of had set a goal for each thing or, or whatever that looked like? That's a lot of changes at one time. And for a lot of people, one, one change at a time is more manageable.
1: Yeah. Baby steps, right?
0: Yep. Exactly. You brought up porn and I would love to talk some more about porn. I know you had posted about this recently. That's where I kind of got this idea to talk to you about it. But does porn affect male sexuality?
1: I mean, the, the short and not so nuanced answer is yes. But the more nuanced and more in-depth, complete answer is, and I did a whole podcast myself speaking by myself for two hours about porn. So, I've got a lot of opinions. So, I'll try and sum this up. Is, is yes but maybe not necessarily in the way that we think right not necessarily in the way that we are told so my opinion about porn just to, to kind of caveat this is um i'm not pro-porn i don't think all porn is good but i'm not anti-porn because i also don't think all porn is bad i think there is a, a gray area in the middle that's worth exploring where porn can be used as a tool to explore eroticism to explore arousal to explore fantasies to explore kinks to uh, build sexual desire, to maybe create sexual tension with our partner. It it can be used as a tool. That's my approach to pornography is that we can use it as a tool with intention, with mindfulness, with awareness, and it can be done healthily and beneficially. But there's two conversations that really need to be had. The first conversation is, what type of porn are you watching? And within that kind of umbrella of conversation, we look at like mainstream porn. Are you just jumping onto like a tube site and watching free pornography that's not ethical and portrays some like really not so great representations of sex maybe it's you know quite aggressive and violent or maybe it doesn't have a diverse array of body shapes and sizes in there and so it's perpetuating things about penis size anxiety or about what women should look like and what women should do in sex maybe it's like not very representative and then it's like in terms of like that same conversation like what type of porn are you watching it's like well um, what about if we change over to ethical porn or educational porn or sometimes called feminist porn um, but porn that's produced where you know the exploitation is kind of taken out of it actors and actresses are getting paid fairly and consent is what's prioritized there and like there's conversations that you actually see on screen about consent and about desires and about boundaries there's active communication between the partners maybe they're actually two people that are in a relationship that are on screen and there's like real pleasure real chemistry between the two of them i, I think there's some really incredible educational ethical porn out there and that's the type of porn that i direct my clients to and i direct people to in general so that's the first qu- conversation is like what type of porn are you using and oftentimes the ethical porn is like really inclusive in terms of body shapes and sizes and it's a lot more representative of like real sex so that can challenge your it can either challenge or it can like help reinforce like new scripts about sexuality so like you ask the question does you know porn affect male sexuality well in a sense if guys are only seeing mainstream porn and the representation of sex through that because we don't really see sex anywhere else then a lot of guys get this idea of oh that's what sex is supposed to look like that's what i should be doing in the bedroom i said before men should themselves a lot this is what sex should look like this is what i should be doing this is what my partner should be doing but if we broaden the representation i suppose and we broaden like the the types of sex that they see on screen and the types of bodies that they see on screen then we start to challenge that like oh sex maybe doesn't have to look like that oh what if a sex could look like this oh i didn't realize that i could do this and my partner could do that and we could do these things together and that it's okay and it's normalized and it's fine and it's pleasurable and, and things like this. I think that's really important. I and mean, that can be a way to to affect male sexuality. What if porn affected male sexuality in a positive way because they're getting all these positive representations? I think that's like one conversation to have. So, that's the what. And then there is the how. So, how are men using porn? So, a lot of the times, this is a conversation that gets swept under the rug, which is like, guys, oftentimes I talk to you know, men a lot about the way that they masturbate. So, when guys are masturbating, for the most part, they're sitting in front of a computer screen, they're, you know, The mouse is in one hand, they're scrolling through their favorite tube site, their cock's in the other hand and they're just jerking off and they're just going through the motions. Or they're on their phone, they're swiping on their phone, again, watching whatever um, gets them off and their cock's in the other hand, they're lying on the couch and they're going through the motions. And that's very stagnant, it's very stationary, it's very sedentary, it's not very conducive to like full body pleasure. It's not very erotic. It's very closed down. Like, even the body posture is very closed, aware of any tension patterns in your body. You're not aware of any like areas of openness in your body. And so, I talked to men about like using porn as a tool. And so, part of that is like, okay, well, how are you using that porn? Are you closed down and stationary like this? Or can you maybe, for example, put the porn up on a shelf? and stand up and get into like a power squat position open your chest up and start breathing as you masturbate and maybe use a little bit of lube or some oil when you're masturbating and can you do some deep diaphragmatic breathing as you're standing in this position because when you stand up you notice your body a bit more like oh my back's a bit tight there or my shoulder's a little bit sore there or maybe I can open my chest up a bit more and, or maybe I can breathe down into my belly a little bit deeper maybe I can breathe down into my balls a bit more and and then there's like another layer on top of that is like okay what about watching or what about using audio porn so porn that's not actually visual but it's like an erotic or even like just plugging like porn's super auditory. So like plug your headphones in, close the screen down, just listen to whatever porn you've been watching and open up a pleasure pathway through a different sense, right? So using different senses or like listening to an erotic short story or even reading erotic literature as well. Like that's still quote unquote porn. We just have this very narrow idea in the mainstream kind of way of thinking about it, of what porn is. So we can read erotic literature. We can listen to ASMR. We can you know, do it. We, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that we can use in terms of like how we use pornography. And that's like where I'm, really interested is like I'll talk to guys about switching over to ethical porn. I'll give them a couple of resources. And then where I think the real work is is like, what is your relationship to porn? Is it just like something that you're you know externalizing and focusing on or are you using it as a way to build eroticism in your body? And one strategy I give to guys is like, you know, porn's very good at exciting us. So I say if you're having trouble feeling aroused without pornography, and often, you know, again to answer your question, a lot of guys do feel that way. They kind of feel that it's difficult to feel aroused without an external stimulus. A lot of guys are very good at externalizing and outsourcing their pleasure to something that's in front of them, whether it's porn or their partner. Um, And so one of the ways I'll work with them about like starting to take ownership of their arousal and connect to their own eroticism is again, by using porn to spike that arousal. So oftentimes can spike their arousal quite quickly. And then I'll get them to put porn to one side, pause it, put it to one side, and then I'll get them to stand in front of a mirror and that arousal that's just been built from watching the pornography, I'll get them to work with it. So, continue to touch their body, continue to breathe, continue to like experience their pleasure. And, you know, I normalize what might happen, which is they might lose their erection a little bit. They might lose a little bit of arousal because their body isn't used to it. They've conditioned themselves to experience pleasure in a certain way. And this is a new way that their body hasn't quite figured out yet. And so, i say, that's totally fine go back to the porn for a few minutes, build your arousal back up, right? Get back into your body, back into your eroticism, pause the porn, put it to the side and start to spend a bit more time with your body. And then over time, essentially the practice is you spend less and less time watching porn, more and more time with your body. And you kind of, it's almost like a weaning off approach, I suppose, if we're using kind of like the quote unquote addiction model. Um, So like that's, these are all conversations that I never see people having when they start to talk about porn. The oftentimes the conversation is porn's good, porn's bad. And there's, no kind of like I said, that gray area of exploration. So that's like to answer your question. Yes, it you know, it does affect male sexuality, but it can also affect male sexuality in a positive way when we start to use it in different ways and when we start to like really have some important conversations about it. Yeah, you know, and, and I've only spoke about porn within like one man's relationship with it. But then we start to talk about like the dyadic relationship. Like what is a a lot of these guys have female partners, well, what's her relationship to his pornography watching right so first you've got to have a conversation about like well what's her relationship to his masturbation a lot of couples don't talk about masturbation and self-pleasure within a relationship so that's a conversation to have first is like are you okay with your male partner going out and masturbating and not spending time with you right and so there's a there's an element there a lot of women that i've spoken to kind of feel like there's a pang of like self-worth coming through like they maybe questioning well, oh, my partner doesn't want to have sex with me they want to masturbate instead what does that mean he's not attracted to me does that mean i'm not hot enough does that mean there's something wrong and so that's a story to kind of challenge and to work through and to process because m- masturbation doesn't necessarily mean that we don't want to have sex with our partner it just means we want to spend some time with ourselves as part of a you know self-care practice or or for whatever other reason uh and so like on top of that and then okay well if he's okay masturbating what if he uses some pornography you know what then does that bring up in a lot of women have stories about like jealousy or maybe cheating or that there's something wrong with him doing it. And it's like, well, is that because he's using mainstream porn where you know that there's some exploitation involved? What if he was using some really, you know, beautiful porn with uh, real couples in it and the pleasure was like focused on her and it was like a really intimate, sensual, connected experience. Would you be okay with him watching something like that and learning from something like that, right? To maybe bring back into partnership. Or what if it was porn that you had created together, right? What if you two had filmed something and he was using that by himself? And and so, there's all these conversations about like, I suppose there's a conversation there about like, what is porn as well? That's people go straight to like hardcore, really intense, violent stuff. So, I don't know. I, I'll rant for ages if you <laughs> let me go. But there's some questions there, right? Which are really important to answer and to talk about with your partner as well. If you've got a partner, um, you know, a lot of us are really- good at just condemning porn use just outrightly, because that's easy to do. What's not so easy is to have a conversation with your partner about porn use and ethical porn and self-pleasure and the way it's impacting your sex life and things like that. That's a lot harder to do. So a lot of people don't do that. They just go, porn's bad and you should be not using it and, and will shame people for doing it. So yeah, hopefully that kind of answers your question a little bit.
0: Yeah, it does. And I think that porn is, it can be so valuable. It can absolutely be valuable to a relationship. To help give you ideas and just see different ways of how to have sex. And there are so many different things. You can learn new techniques. Both people can learn new techniques. I actually have an episode this week coming out about erotica and dipsia and erotic literature. And I think you brought up a really good point in that you can listen to the audio, read the books. Are those any different than the visual porn? Because at the end of the day, the goal is all the same to stimulate, you know, the brain in an erotic aroused state.
1: Yeah. I often say that variety is key. So, a lot of, like I said a lot before, a lot of guys just go through the motions. They kind of, their masturbation is very habitual. They do the same thing every time, essentially. And so, what you're doing there, whether it's using porn, whether it's using a vibrator, whether it's using your hands, whether it's doing a particular type of thing, is you're conditioning yourself. If that's everything if that's the same thing you're doing every single time, you're creating a pattern in your body, a habit in your body, conditioning in your body to experience pleasure in that one particular way, which can feel Awkward then and difficult and challenging when you start to try and experience pleasure in different ways, say, as like when you're having sex with your partner, or when you're not using porn, or when you're not using a vibrator, or whatever. And so, variety is really important here. And so, a a rule of thumb that I use with my clients is use porn 20% of the time when you're masturbating. So, say you masturbate five times a week, use porn once during those five times, or say you masturbate for an hour, use porn for I think it's 12 minutes of that hour, right? Like it's, the, the idea is like not becoming reliant on it. So using this, you know, mindfully as a tool, not becoming reliant on that tool and, and not being able to like experience pleasure without it. So variety is really important there. And I, I say the same thing to, to people with sex toys or vibrators, for example, is like if you're using it every single time, try switching it up, right? you would probably conditioning yourself to experience pleasure through that one particular type of stimulation. A variety of stimulations is what's really important here. And that goes the same thing with guys and watching porn and the sex that you're having with your partner as well. If you're having sex the same way every single time, it's pretty monotonous, gets pretty dull it's pretty boring so variety is the spice of life variety is the spice of your sex life as well keeps it thriving it keeps it interesting it keeps it new and it keeps your brain healthy as well variety is really helpful for creating new neural pathways and neurogenesis right and tapping into the neuroplasticity of our brain so creating new pleasure pathways and exploring new ways of experiencing pleasure is really important
0: I love that. I love that. I call that the pleasure rabbit hole when you go to the same spot every single time because it works and you know that it works using the same tools. However, your brain stimulating other areas will create more neural pathways and allow you to receive more pleasure ultimately. Now, one more thing that I really wanted to cover with you before kind of our time is up today is penis size. And this is always a topic, you know, men are worried that they're too small, that they're maybe too big. How do we normalize all penis sizes?
1: Yes. So, I think if I remember the statistics correctly, it's about... 80% 80% of men are worried about the size of their penis report that they're worried about the size of their penis. And of those 80% of men, about 96 to 97% wish they were bigger, right? So, we've got an overwhelming amount of men who who think that their penis is too small, right? And there's a small percentage of men who do think that their penis is too big and, that they, and that's a, obviously an important conversation to have is it, that can cause some issues. But when we're talking about penis size, oftentimes it's an anxiety that they're too small. And so, I kind of mentioned this before. One of the ways to normalize all penis shapes and sizes is to have more representation in pornography because that's where we're getting a lot of our ideas of where penis shapes and sizes come from. We don't really see a lot of penises out in the wild, right? A lot of guys aren't in situations where they see lots of cocks just like in their flaccid state. So, the representation that guys get of penises is like firstly, not flaccid. Like if not all penises in porn, in mainstream porn, I'll say, are a wreck. They just like- rock hard and they just bounce out of trousers like they're just good to go and it's like that's not how penises work so that's really important I, I often talk to guys about the fear of the flaccid penis as well like what like, what do you do with this like flaccid windsock like hanging between your legs a lot of guys don't really know how to pleasure a flaccid penis and neither do their partners so there's education there but yeah, so representation in porn is really important I often talk about like how in mainstream porn Like the reason why the average male porn star's penis is three and a half inches bigger than the average civilian's penis is because you need to stick a camera in there. And so, I I use a lot of quotes from porn performers, from kind of mainstream porn. And a lot of the women sharing sex isn't actually that pleasurable because they're getting like, because the, the angle that the penis is entering is poking the side of their vagina or the side of their anus. And it's like not really that pleasurable because they need to stick a camera in there. So, they're pulling these weird- contortionist angles and things like that and so and so the reason why a a penis needs to be those three inches bigger is because you actually don't see the whole penis going in to get the shots you need to stick a camera in there and that camera needs to have somewhere to go but if you're you know if your penis is only average at five to six inches and it goes all the way in you can't put a camera in between the two bodies so there's practical reasons why male porn performers need to be bigger. So, just like educating men about that, like guys go, oh, that makes sense. Like why? Yeah, and then, So, that's one thing. And then there's, you know, I, I use this really great book by, I think her name's uh, Laura Bates. I'm pretty sure her name is. But it's kind of like, it's this book that just has a whole bunch of photos of flaccid penises in it and stories about men's relationship to their cock and how they've like- treated their penis over the course of their lives and things like that so um, i use that as a really good resource and i think stuff like that needs to be made more available to people we need to have like conversations about what our relationship is to our body and what what our anxieties are and people like have a bit more conversations about that and so i use that as a really good uh, conversation starter and then just like education sex ed at school needs to be more comprehensive, I suppose. Like I, I've was, I've never heard in, in all my time of like talking to people about sex education in schools of people like acknowledging penis size, shame and anxiety in like sex ed at school. So maybe there's something there that we can, you know, bring in in terms of like the comprehensiveness of sex education, like start to talk to teenage boys about you know, their penis size and you know, growers and showers, for example, like even that being a thing. Like, I, I find that out from my mates in the schoolyard, not from my sex ed teacher. So there's an important conversation there. And then, like, you know, I often see in TV shows and movies like male sexuality in general, but also penis size jokes kind of being pretty prolific like the like male sexuality is seen as a a butt of a lot of jokes it's oftentimes played for laughs the guy that like comes too quickly or has a small dick or can't get it up or expresses his sexuality and then gets shamed for it like it's oftentimes very easy to poke fun at male sexuality on tv shows and um in movies and so i think we need to have kind of overhaul with regards to the way that we represent sexuality in mainstream media in general that's mainstream porn but also mainstream movies and tv shows and i think that's really important to have and then we just need to start talking like to women about what penis size means to them as well because oftentimes there's uh, several kind of surveys where women talk about how yeah, a massive penis isn't actually that pleasurable, and yeah, and maybe girth is more important to them, or its size actually doesn't matter. It's like the connection and all these things. So, you know, m- men are oftentimes worried about the size of their penis more so than their female partners are like the the guys are uh worried because they're comparing themselves to other guys when really what they should be doing is talking to their female partner about whether the sex is any good because it doesn't really matter obviously there's some preferences some you know size queens out there really appreciate like a large penis or that's what they're kind of looking for but for the most part the majority of women at least in my observation and the people that i've spoken to size isn't the determining factor of how pleasurable the sex is it's whether the sex is pleasurable or not, that determines how pleasurable the sex is. And and so, that it comes down to a whole bunch of other factors. So, that's what also men need to be doing in order to n- normalize, you know, all shapes and sizes of penises, is having just like some really intimate, vulnerable conversations with the women that they're having sex with. And so, there's a whole bunch of things there, but I, I was kind of like a spitball all over the place, but hopefully some things there landed.
0: Yes. No, I think that's so so important and you brought up education in schools and Honestly, the conversations about vulvas, it's the same thing from like the the female side is that the things that these children really need to know to go into adulthood, we're not giving them all of those tools and sex education will change. I know that a lot of us are on a mission to get better sex education out there, but this has been such a phenomenal conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to record with me and chat. I would love to know if there's anything that any last minute thing that you would like to make sure the listeners take away from today's episode.
1: Yeah. My golden uh, rule is be curious. So, lean into your curiosity. Sex is supposed to be pleasurable and fun and playful and you know, we have some serious conversations but sex isn't really supposed to be that serious. Sex is supposed to be fun and, and enjoyable. So, lean into your curiosity, lean into your playfulness, lean into your like, pretend you're you're an experimenter or an explorer and you're kind of learning new things and see if you can tap into that kind of playfulness and, and curiosity when it comes to to sex and not only sex with yourself, but also sex with other people as well. Like curiosity is like really a cornerstone of good sex and longevity when it comes to sex life with your partner. So just, yeah, be curious. That's all I can really, really say.
0: I love that. Where can the listeners find you? So I'm
1: at The Cam Fraser on all social media platforms. I try to do as much educating as possible online. So if you jump onto my social media, I guarantee that you will learn something new. That is my approach and you can also find me on my website, which is cam-fraser.com. And I always forget to plug this, so I'm going to remember I have a podcast as well called Men, Sex, and Pleasure. So if anything I said today resonated with you, I have lots more conversations like this on my own podcast.
0: Yes, I love that. If you didn't mention your podcast, I was definitely going to mention your podcast. <laughs> you. So, well, thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: Yeah, I am. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to spend the day with my little one. So I'm really excited. Oh,
0: fun of fun. This podcast is sponsored by Intimacy Coaching by Jordan Donnell. Have you ever desired more from your sex life or feel like you're having good sex, but curious about how to make it even better? Are you desiring a deeper, intimate connection with yourself? Or maybe you are dealing with desire and arousal concerns, or struggling with communicating your desires with your partner? If you're hearing this and thinking, hmm, that might be me and you're curious to learn a bit more, let's chat. I would love to talk with you more to see if working with me is a good fit for you. To learn more about intimacy coaching with Jordan Donnell, go to coaching.jordandonell.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.